Okay, Saturday night um, at Abhaigiri and uh, the, also the day after one pra, the uh, Saturday night talk on the day after one pra is not an envious position to be in <laughs> for the most part, although it wasn't a mandatory uh, uh, late night sit last night for that reason. So, but if anybody stayed up late, uh, you have my sympathies for this evening. But uh, just reflecting uh, the past bit of time uh, since the retreat started uh, at the beginning of January, I've um, had a number of reflections and uh, readings, discussions, questions answers on uh, the themes of back to basics, uh, including um, spending a lot of time uh, kind of reflecting on Four Noble Truths, Right View, uh, teachings from Ajahn Chah being a central part of the, the back to our back to our roots. Also, you know, wanderings into some of the uh, basic reflections and teachings of, um, you know, how we can structure our contemplations, uh, various paradigms to explore Dhamma through the six sense bases, the five spiritual faculties, various themes like that. So lots of uh, good tools, lots of grist for the mill to help us keep focused on the very important uh, basic parts of the path. So hopefully people are taking them uh, and contemplating and using them in the walking and sitting and daily activities. It's also sobering, I find, and, and I suspect many, if not most people here also experience this how the, the personal narratives, the stories that we live by and tell, our, uh, tell ourselves about and relive over and over again, the, the, our personal narratives find their way into our uh, daily contemplations, our daily meditation, uh, our daily life, and how entrapping they can be, how um, mesmerizing uh, these personal narratives can be, even with these wonderful set of tools we have to help move us beyond them. They're very persistent, uh, strongly ingrained over much, many times of reinforcement habit. And so all of us feel those uh, moments when, you know, we just uh, get lost in some sort of mood or uh, storyline, past memories memories of difficult situations, concerns, worries about the future, <clears throat> the general milieu of having a human mind. And there's, in addition to the, the basic teachings uh, on uh, methodology, or we don't really do too much with methodology here, but uh, basic structures of, of how we want to contemplate, but there's also another aspect of practice that I find so useful to 
help bring into focus during a, a winter retreat, like this at any time really, um, but particularly as a balancing kind of part of my routine, um, to bring it into a very uh, human level. And it's uh, trying to recollect and remember um, some of the uh, stories of, of beings who have developed exemplary qualities that uh, have served them in their search and in their practice and also are just manifesting from their, uh, their practice, uh, from their realization, from their understanding, and find that level of, of humanity very encouraging, um, looking, like I was saying, looking at the, the personal qualities of, of some very special, special beings. And so one of the parts of the practice that I decided to pick up for this winter retreat was re re rereading the uh, Great Disciples book, uh, the, the Buddha's Great Disciples, uh, stories of you know, many of the important people uh, around the Buddha uh, during his dispensation, and find them just really bringing, bringing the Dhamma to a human, human level. It's not, I mean, sometimes when you read the suttas and the uh, various teachings, there is a very, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's a, it's a wonderful collection, and that's our prime focus, I think, when we're, we're studying and, and reading and learning the teachings. Uh, you know, a compendium of magnificent, earth-shaking teachings. Uh, sometimes it gets, you don't quite get the level of personality and humanity that comes in it. So it's when you have a book like The Great Disciples, where uh, the authors have, have combed through the, the Dhamma and the Vinaya uh, to find out, flesh out a little bit more of these people, um, then you really start to uh, get a sense of, of oh, this was, these were real people uh, doing real things and being real inspiring examples for us to follow. So I think about those and, and uh, reflect on those, and it really brings a lot of uplift uh, to the mind and kind of helps balance out the, uh, the more formal aspects of practice. And I've just really started, started again getting through the introduction and some of the background that Bhikkhu Bodhi has written very well. And then probably about halfway through the, the first, very first chapter, uh, highlighting Sariputta as one of the Buddha's two chief disciples. And just reflecting what an amazing person he was. You know, not only was he the, the, what they call the marshal of the Dhamma, uh, the one who was responsible for bringing so many of the teachings together uh, in, in, a, in a more comprehensive way, the teachings that he gave, expounding on the, on the Buddha's teachings and, and expanding on the Buddha's teachings uh, in a way that the Buddha praised highly. And just over you know, reading, the, reading the various accounts of his activities and his teachings, just being so moved by uh, his personal life, uh, personal way of approaching not only teaching, but also of just being uh, as a human being, becoming fully enlightened you know, within the first 
month <laughs> of his, his going forth. Uh, and then a lifetime of uh, sharing uh, the Dhamma uh, and helping to nurture and, and uh, support the community that he uh, helped to develop uh, with, under the leadership of, of the Buddha himself. And how he earned uh, uh, the reputation of being the um, one foremost in uh, bringing, uh, bringing the disciples, bringing the new uh, uh, students in the dispensation, the new monks, uh, into uh, realizing uh, the initial level of, of stream entry into the path. That was kind of his forte, I guess you would say. Uh, that he was, with a lot of patience uh, and repetitive attempts to help clarify and teach individually and in groups, young disciples knew, and not letting, not giving up on them. Uh, many, many, many times meeting and encouraging and instructing and overseeing um, the development of their practice. A very nurturing kind of approach for somebody who's already fully enlightened. But those were part of his innate characteristics and tendencies, his want to his wanting to share what he had earned and what he had learned uh, from the Buddha with as many people as possible uh, and with incredible energy and, and commitment. And also just sort of his naturalness, his his extraordinary ordinariness, one way I can think of it, in, in the stories of him in the morning time before alms round, he would, he would, he would not go on alms round right away. He would uh, go through the monastery after the other monks had departed on alms round and tidy up. He'd clean up any garbage that was lying around. He'd sweep off places that hadn't been swept. And after that, he'd wander over to the, the sick room uh, where there might be some sick monks and tend to them, make sure they were getting their needs met, being encouraging to them, rousing them with dhamma not only and as well as, as physical care and help. And it would be only after that that he'd, he'd, he'd go on alms round, collect some food for the day or go to a, a dwelling where there is a meal offering and then have his meal for the day. Or, or times, stories of times when the, the Buddha would go wandering with a retinue of monks. And you know, one might expect that uh, Sariputta would, being the second in command, so to speak, of, of, of the dispensation, would take his place at the front of the line with accompanying the Buddha. But no, he, he would stay behind every day in the morning as they were about to set off. And he would first, before, before himself setting off, uh, along with the Buddha, he would go find the, the elder monks, old, older monks who maybe needed some help getting started, getting going for the day, bandage their feet, getting ready for the next length of walk, things like that, tending to them, making sure everybody was uh, taken care of uh, before he himself uh, launched out uh, for the day's wandering, the day's walk, the, the tudong of that time. And then also just the, the amount of care and instruction he gave not only to the monks but also to the lay people. 
the famous story of Anatta Pindika uh, on his deathbed and Sariputta going to visit him, to arouse and encourage him with a very uh, insightful and uh, brilliant instruction on the, on the six uh, sense bases. And Anatta Pindika was moved to tears. He was you know, over the moon you know, with a teaching that he had never heard before. Uh, that was ins- so inspiring for him uh, in his last uh, hours of his life and the gratitude that he expressed to Sariputta for taking the time and coming to give him this very important teaching. I don't know if it was uh, as a result of this particular teaching or accumulation, but then when he passed away, he Anadapindaka uh, was reborn in the Tusita heaven as a, and as a stream enterer. So... Not a, not a shabby <laughs> way to die. So just some examples of the, the kind of character that Sariputta was, just and completely um, self-effacing about the whole thing. He was also incredibly um, patient and humble uh, when there was, a, there was a, an instance of uh, a monk who felt somewhat... Uh, dissed by Sariputta, ignored by him, and, uh, un, you know, not, not with much basis in it, but uh, and kind of developed a grudge and, and accused Sariputta of uh, striking him. And when it was brought to the Buddha's attention, and Sariputta, he questioned, the Buddha questioned Sariputta in front of this, uh, in front of the assembly with this other monk who made the accusation. And, and Sariputta, not referring directly to himself, but talking about qualities of a being uh, that he obviously possessed uh, and how it would be impossible for anybody with these particular qualities to strike another being out of anger. Uh, And it was apparently what they call Sariputta's lion's roar. Um, So he wasn't you know, any kind of uh, shrinking violet in any way. He, he could uh, make a statement when he needed to and, and to the point where that uh, other monk uh, broke down and confessed that he had invented the story because he was feeling envious or uh, ignored. Um, and then that monk asked for, begged for forgiveness from, from Sariputta, which Sariputta immediately gave, yes, I forgive you, you know, and not only that, but very sincerely and very deeply said, and if there was anything that I did that caused offense uh, for you, I ask for for your forgiveness too. Not just a routine kind of response, but from the heart. So that just shows his, his humility and his ordinariness, in a sense, his extraordinary ordinariness. So to remember these kinds of things and, and think, gosh, you know, maybe I can't be exactly like that, but maybe I can see if I can emulate some of these qualities, see if I can develop these kind of qualities uh, within myself to, to ennoble the mind, in a sense, to um, just do what it is. That's what he was doing. He was just doing what naturally was right, uh, what, what naturally he was inclined to. It wasn't out of any kind of you know, trying to make a statement or trying to be somebody wonderful or uh, looking for any kind of praise or recognition uh, 
for it. He, he was just doing what naturally uh, came his way as, as the thing to do, the way to be as a human being. He didn't go around you know, trying to present himself as, uh, you know, oh, I'm the Buddhist you know, chief disciple. That wasn't a thought that would cross his mind. So in other examples like that from the teachings, I'm looking forward to just plowing through the book again because I know there's some wonderful stories in there that uh, really open the heart and kind of make this all very accessible, particularly when we get caught in our own personal stuff. And then, you know, extending that to more present-day experience, our teachers, Ajahn Chah, remembering him, the amount of commitment that he made to pursuing the path and, and not giving up, and then the relentless hours and days and weeks and months and years that he spent teaching uh, and sharing his time uh, and being available uh, for anyone, for all people, over and over and over again. Uh, and his, his, both his ex- incredible wisdom, his teaching ability, and his warmth, all that uh, meshed together and used when needed, and the dispensation that he's established uh, in the world. His disciples, his Western disciples that we had contact with, Lumpur Sumedho, our own Lumpur Pasano, uh, and the great gifts they've brought to, to us, establishing it, making it accessible for Westerners relentless, tireless activities to help develop and support and nurture uh, monasteries in the West. In Abhayagiri, here we are, as a result of that kind of generosity and open-heartedness and relentless energy. You know, all the years that he spent in Thailand uh, with Ajahn Chah and then after Ajahn Chah passed, leading Wapanana Chat and then coming here and uh, helping to establish a Bayagiri, uh, the numbers of monks he has uh, ordained and trained, provided support to, and with an incredible amount of patience and good humor. So just reflecting on our own teachers here in the West, our, mentor, our mentors, and then all of us here. I mean, people in this room, people probably tuning in, who have made very, very sincere commitments. Every single person in this room is somebody who's made a sincere commitment to to the teaching and who have offered uh, offered in whatever ways they can service to help keep this going, to help keep this monastery alive and functional and and contributing to a sense of of goodness uh, in the community, a sense of harmony, how we've all supported each other in in our various ways with our different abilities. So to take some time to reflect on that and enjoy uh, this this rare occurrence in the world. So, you know, there's the, the inner development of the path of practice. There's the outer element that uh, I've just been reflecting on, uh, you know, the, the community, the people, the, the live 
human beings, the Sangha, the assemblies of uh, monks, nuns, lay women, lay men, they all come together to keep this alive. And the internal uh, aspects of our path, uh, we also nourish and develop. And I think one of the prominent themes for my own practice so far this uh, this retreat has just been really trying to breathe even more life into the core basic practice of mindfulness of the body, just as our go-to spot, my go-to spot uh, for contemplation, just over and over and over again, reminding uh, myself to, to stay centered right here in this, this body uh, and to realize the peacefulness of letting go of uh, self-obsession, self-identification, the ways that um, we complicate our lives, basically with starting with the basics of, of just whittling away at this uh, perception of me. I think one of the most important insights that we can all develop is this sense of getting out of the way if we can just get ourselves out of the way, all these personal narratives, personal problems, the psychological deficits that we conjure up for ourselves, the habits of mind, uh, really find their root in this uh, sense of, of self, the sense of me. So the contemplations on anatta are essential uh, in helping to free ourselves from our, our narratives, our stories. Because even then, if we, if we, if we have a, a strong insight uh, and realization into, into not-self, uh, then you know, the personality issues, the, the habits that we have, the uh, tendencies that we suffer with, um, at least they they become just that. Uh, it's just that much. It's not anything that I have to take ownership over. I have to respond to them appropriately, but I don't have to take on this sense of personal identity uh, in relation to those narratives. And mindfulness of the body is the place to start because if we can really get a full sense of just this body without an owner, then the extrapolation to the mind and the mind habits, the perceptions that we have, the mental trains of habits, all of those mental aspects of our experience that really lead us into, into difficult realms, those can all be seen much more clearly uh, as they are uh, just in and of themselves as well. So just spending time really constantly walking up and down the trails, doing the morning tasks, uh, as well as the uh, walking and sitting meditation, constantly reflecting on understanding uh, this body, this mindfulness immersed in the body, keeping that present at all times, not getting so concerned about attainments, meditation attainments, you know, getting and maintaining, you know, jhanas and, and uh, all of these kinds of things, although they're part of the practice. It's letting go of that intensity of, of uh, almost a self-obsession with, with uh, 
some of these kinds of techniques or methods or uh, benchmarks uh, and plain and simple staying with the body mindfulness in everything one does clear comprehension in the body as a way of um, whittling away at this sense of, of self and that's one of the biggest gifts we can give to ourselves to the people around us, to the world around us, uh, because then uh, we'll be responding out of a, a naturalness for the wish for, for goodness, for freedom from suffering. When we let go of that self-concern, that self-involvement, that, uh, that strong self-perception in body, speech, and mind, every way that it can be expressed and so these are, you know, this is appropriate attention, how we attend to our, our bodies, ourselves, our, our mental inclinations uh, in a way that's looking through the lens of Dhamma and then through the lens of me. And this is really the, the Buddha talks about the, the two most important factors in developing the path, uh, the internal and the external. And the internal being this... Uh, factor of appropriate attention, wise attention uh, to how we, um, uh, what we attend to uh, in our inner world and how we attend to it uh, in an appropriate way. And then the external one being this refuge in Kalyanamita, this refuge in wise company, hanging around, spending time uh, in the external world in, in wise ways like our our teachers uh, and examples from the past. So the internal and the external refuges uh, that uh, lead us into full development of the path. So anyway, just encouraging people to take some time to, to balance out the, uh, uh, the formal meditation, the formal reflections, the formal teachings uh, on the Dhamma uh, and considering the, the human aspect of our, our, our lives here, uh, taking refuge in uh, the goodness uh, when it, as, as it manifests uh, from, uh, from our teachers and, and from our, our fellow practitioners, and to rejoice in that and try and emulate the, the best qualities that uh, can come out from um, keeping this practice the center of our lives. So we, we do the chant uh, with the phrase that comes out as uh, uh, they give rise for incomparable goodness uh, to arise in the world. Give occasion for incomparable goodness to arise in the world. So I'll leave it for this Saturday night reflection right there.